Up in the night, your heart fills with dread Probably a murderer who wants you dead It could be a ghost, a demon, or worse Perhaps you're the victim of a witch's curse It's hopeless, you're doomed, you'd call a priest if you could You'd rather just listen to who? Sinisterhood I'm gonna kill you Hello and welcome to another edition of Freaky Friday Where we tell your odd but true stories It is Friday, January 12th, 2024 and I'm only barely getting used to writing 24 when I date things. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, one of those things. <laughs> and also gotta... people like to go, huh, can you believe it's already the, it's the new year? We, <laughs> you got to wait that out for the next few months before yeah. everyone is settled into a new year has happened. And then yes. it turns into, man, I can't wait for 2024 to be over. It's been the worst year of my life. <laughs> Yeah, every year like, rinse repeat. Yeah, we're like it's January. Maybe it'll be a great year. Anytime people are new to the show and they say, "I listened to you guys as February 2020 episodes, and you sounded so hopeful about that year," <laughs> and they're like, "I just want to call through and be like, oh no." So hopefully, people listening to this in January 2025 will be like, "2024 was a great year. It all got better. <laughs> Maybe." I hope so. So far, I'm having a very nice year. So I hope everyone else is too. And that this is the best year for everybody. Yes. Remember, time help. is meaningless. So years are meaningless as well. Um, so are days. And like life is life. It doesn't matter the day or year. <laughs> it's all made up. I've, somebody posted a thing that said, like, if you think about it from an animal perspective, when it's dark and cold, we should all be like hunkering down still and hibernating until like spring but instead we have this kind of meaningless like january 1st it's a new year you got to start working you got to go hard and it's like hey 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 that's a calendar you made up all right look outside it's dark as hell mm -hmm. it's telling me to chill it's telling me to stay in bed <laughs> i am going to stay in, in my cave like the bears exactly look like to the, the bears, bears. Always look to the bears. Well, you have uh, a great lineup of stories for us today that run the gamut from odd but true to brushes with true crime. And uh, I thank you, as always, our story sommelier for, oh, well, for curating. I, I do nothing. Everyone that sends your stories in, thank you so much. We're starting off with a, with a doozy right up top. So I'm Christy. I'm Heather. And let's get freaky. This first one is from Jillian. And it is called, I sat across from Shannon Watts for seven hours. First and foremost, I love you ladies. Thank you for the respectful manner with which you present hard topics and the levity that is also needed during the hard times. Episode 13 got me through the labor of my almost 10 pound baby. Now on to the story. My parents and I lived in Frederick, Colorado. Frederick is a very small town that is actually nestled in with two others, Decono and Firestone. This area is up and coming and touted as family friendly and safe. There's lots of outdoor areas, parks, golf courses, open spaces, walking trails, and a lake to fish on. These communities come together for numerous outdoor events throughout the year. Fourth of July parades, trunk or treat for Halloween, outdoor concerts, chainsaw carving competitions, and probably the biggest event is Miner's Day. Miner's Day is an annual event that celebrates the town's history of being a mining town. There's a parade and 5K in the morning, food trucks and carnival games, vendors with booths set up, and live music. 
It's a weekend-long event, and it really reinforces the small-town feel that is this area. In September of 2017, my mom and I decided to participate in Miner's Day by having a vendor booth. We are very big into paper crafting. Think scrapbooking, card making, and some paper home decor. We decided to set up a vendor booth because my mom ran monthly crops, which are basically a group of women coming together and making cards, scrapbooks, paper crafts, while eating apps and desserts. We really enjoyed doing this, and at the time, we were tinkering around with if or how to make it profitable for us. If you don't know, Shannon's job was working for an MLM that promoted weight loss and overall better health with patches and supplements. I'm not going to include the name because I think they've changed their name and because I think all MLMs are predatory as fuck. But I digress. Shannon and another lady had a booth at that year's Miner's Day. Shannon was very noticeable because she had a neck brace on and their booth was right across from ours. It's odd to think back on this because the best way I could describe it was she was being on from the very beginning. She was very loud and very boisterous, talking to every person in the vicinity, including the people manning the booths around her. I remember thinking, wow, that lady is a lot. And then I felt bad because when she came to our booth, she was very engaging and seemed genuinely interested. I will never forget the conversation. She told us that she always wanted to be better at memory keeping and scrapbooking. She said she had two kids, and she was really good at keeping the important pictures and documents for them, but they just sat in boxes. She also said she was really busy with being a mom, wife, and her business, so she was interested in quick solutions to scrapbook her memories and for her daughters to look at when they're older. My mom joked with her about how her kids are 27 and 29, and all of our stuff was still in boxes too. Now when I think back, it makes me shudder. Since her booth was across from us, we could see her interacting with people. The booth she had was very plain, but they had a spinning wheel where you could win prizes, and she was hooting and hollering the whole day to get people to come. We ended up talking a few more times throughout the day, and again, I remember thinking, man, if anybody is a natural-born salesperson, it's this chick. I think the fact that she was so boisterous is why I remember this next part so well. I want to say that we all started setting up at about 7 a.m. We didn't break down until 5 p.m. or so. From 7 a.m. to after lunch, she had been yelling and singing, dancing, and interacting with everyone. Honestly, the best things to do when in a busy selling environment. At about 2-ish, a guy came around Sellers Row and went straight to Shannon's booth and sat down. She instantly sat down next to him, and all noise and animated behavior from her stopped. She introduced this man to the other lady as her husband. My mom, who is now a child psychologist, but once used her forensic psychology degree to be a victim's advocate and then parole officer, was watching them like a hawk. I joked that it was so quiet now we could actually hear ourselves think, and my mom very absentmindedly said, yeah, I guess so. Wasn't long until Shannon and Chris got up and he led her away. As they left, Shannon thanked us for the scrapbooking ideas, signed up to get our newsletter, and said she wanted to join one of our get-togethers, but couldn't commit because her girls were so young and she didn't have consistent care, but maybe one day she'd make it. After they left, my mom looked at me and said, there's something wrong with that relationship. I guarantee he is controlling and even potentially abusive. 
I asked what she meant, and she remarked that Shannon's behavior had done a full 180 when he arrived. And as she sat there, and as they sat there, Shannon watched Chris like a hawk. I asked what she meant, and she remarked that Shannon's behavior had done a full 180 when he arrived. And as they sat there, Shannon watched him like a hawk. My mom then shook her head and said, It's a shame. And we went on with our day, not really giving it another thought. Fast forward to August 14th of 2018. I am nine months pregnant with my first daughter. She was born on August 25th. And my mom calls me and tells me to Google the news story of a missing Frederick woman and her two children. I pulled up the story and my mom said, do you recognize her? I was shocked to see the face of the lady whose booth had been across from us at Miner's Day. We read the story on the phone together and my heart sank when it talked about her two young kids and her being pregnant. It was then my mom said, mark my words, this husband did something. I said, you think? thinking she would discuss the stats of intimate partner violence. But instead, she said, yes, he either hurt her or she ran to get away from him. God, I hope she ran. Two days later, we read the news that Chris Watts had been arrested for murdering his family and that police were attempting to exhume the bodies from where he put them. For five years, this case has haunted me. I don't know if it's because we met her, we saw a brief interaction between her and Chris, she was pregnant when I was pregnant, or if it was the sheer proximity of her to me, but it's haunted me. I felt I owed her a duty to know her and the crime. I watched the body cam footage, the police interviews, read all of her social media posts, read books and autopsy information, and was exposed to information I wish I would have never learned. Again, I felt like I needed to know this information and needed to honor her and her children by sitting in the uncomfortable slash horror of the information. Come to find out, I also had postpartum anxiety and was hyper-focusing on this story. I recognize now that my obsession also spanned from guilt. We saw them together, and it was weird enough that a comment was made about it. Ultimately, it was unhealthy, and finally I had to make a conscious and consistent effort to stop. But even now... Information will pop up, and I feel that pull to it. I struggled with whether to write in about this. I didn't want to make her story about me, and I never want to give that monster any time or thoughts. But I am hoping there will be a bit of a release by telling this story. I also am a big believer that we are all connected, and it's fascinating to see how all of our strings interconnect to one another. I speak healing, energetic thoughts into the universe for Shannon, Bella, Celeste, and baby Nico, and I hope that their energies have found peace. I understand if this is never read on the show, but just getting it out has been therapeutic. Thank you again for all you do. Those kind of moments are will stick with you, especially when you hear the conclusion of what happened to their relationship, having that gut feeling when you first see them and just say, there's, there's something off about that, about the control and the behavioral change, and it's just such a a sad thing to see that it, she didn't run away. You know, you hope for the best mm-hmm. outcome and it's sadly the worst, which happens in abusive relationships. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the worst uh, true crime stories to come out in the past decade. Yeah. Truly horrific. I, I understand that feeling Jillian of feeling like you have to know all of that information in a way to honor them. But just to 
PSA, especially from doing this job, don't go down that rabbit hole if it's unhealthy. If mm-hmm. it's you feel like you are reading things that you never want to know about. I mean, I get that. I've read and seen things I wish I never would have learned either. And at those points, I have to stop and be like, this isn't good for me. This, mm-hmm. And you do feel that pull to it because it is that, well, I saw them and I could tell. And maybe if I could figure out, you know, where things could have changed, then I could change what happened. It's just, that's just a, one of the stages of grief. Yeah. You know, making uh, barters, bargaining, things yeah. like that. So all that to say, if, if you want to honor someone, I think there are wonderful ways to do it. And it doesn't have to include knowing the grisly details of a crime that, you know, you, you certainly none of us would ever want to have to read the details about. No, oh, definitely. I think that's a good thing to end on the speaking, healing, energetic thoughts for all of them. And it's horrifying the ending that they met, but that there is justice at least in that he's locked up and mm-hmm. hopefully they found some peace uh, somewhere because that is, this is a case that I read right when it first came out, maybe one or two articles that were a lot of details and I can't really read a lot more about it, but the one was enough and I have such visceral kind of vivid memories uh, from looking mm-hmm. at that. So it's, it's yeah, I never watched story. the documentary the Netflix put out and I am aware of what happened in this story mm-hmm. and have read like one article, but it was also one that I, I just can't dig into it's it's too much for me yeah. to to know about and I'm so sorry for any friends or family or even strangers in passing that are affected by crimes like this and yes rot in prison forever for eternity Sinisterhood will be right back Well this next one is from Robert And it is called The Time I Shook Hands with a Murderer. Hi, ladies. I would like to tell you about my one small experience with true crime. In 1999, I had just gotten out of the Army and was living in the Dallas area looking for a job. I was recently married and wasn't really picky, so I took a job in construction. I was working with a company that installed computer and telephone lines in new buildings. The company was a small one and the owner would be on site working with us if we were shorthanded. When I first started, he was driving me around to different job sites before meeting up with the owner of another company. This company would be making a few holes in concrete walls for us to run our cables through. The man's name was Stephen Barbie. He ran a small company with his wife called Cowboy Coring. It was a one-and-done meeting. We shook hands as people do when they first meet. My boss showed him what we needed done on a blueprint. Stephen said that he would get back to him with a quote, and we moved on. On our way back to the truck, my boss pointed out one of their company vehicles that had the motto on the side, your hole is our goal. Being young and fresh out of the military, that made me laugh a little. I only worked with that company for a few months before finding a job more closely aligned with what I did in the military, so I didn't really think about my boss or that encounter much after that. Fast forward to February of 2005, and I'm sitting in the break room and see one of the cowboy coring trucks on the news. Their motto popped in my head and I smiled a bit before I caught on to what was being said. Mr. Barbie's face popped onto the screen. The reporter said that he was responsible for the death of Lisa Underwood, his girlfriend, yep, and her seven-year-old son, Jaden. 
She had apparently gotten pregnant and he assumed the baby was his. Spoiler, DNA tests showed later the baby was not his. Without knowing that the child wasn't his, he decided the best course of action to save his marriage or keep his business was to make her disappear. She ran or owned, I'm not quite sure, a small bakery, so her disappearance was quickly noticed. The police caught up to him pretty quickly, and he eventually led them to where he had hidden the bodies. I recently did a quick search on him, and he was put to death in late 2022. Thanks for taking the time to read my story. Keep it creepy. I've included a couple links below. Well, we clicked on those links. Thank you for including those. He tried to appeal his death sentence for a while, which is why mm-hmm. it took from the crime in 2005 to the execution in 2022. But it, was, it wasn't it was an appeal on anything legitimate. He just wanted to have a spiritual advisor in the chamber with him. And he argued that Texas's guidelines were too loose. But basically, the attorney general said, if you ask for a spiritual advisor, we'll let them in. There doesn't need to be guidelines. So that's when the Supreme Court uh, rejected his petition and he was finally executed. Yes, by lethal injection. Another horrible case of people losing their lives far too young and uh, just senseless, senseless, greedy, just monsters. Yeah, a man that doesn't want to take the honorable way out and say, let's get a divorce. I've been cheating on you or let's, you know, I just want to leave this family or shut it down. They decide the most heinous, extreme, what they think is an answer, but isn't an answer. And of course, women and children suffer. Yeah. Well, this next one is from M. And the subject line is, the time I predicted a school shooting. Hi, ladies. Cue the usual and well-deserved praise. Much love to both of you. Before we begin, I want to preface that all names have been changed. My entire life, my dad has been spot on with predictions, from small everyday happenings to predicting a murder-suicide of a former med school classmate. His mother and other members of his family were the same way, and now me. For my dad and I, these predictions either come in the form of sudden word vomit, almost as if we cannot control it, or in the form of dreams. Now, on to the real story. When I was in high school, I woke up late for school due to a terrible dream and arrived to school late as the dream had upset me so much. I told my mom the dream and we sat, talked about it, and cuddled for a while before she drove me to school and then herself to work. In my dream, my mom, who works as a nurse practitioner for a teaching hospital, saw a classmate of mine named Jason through walk-in clinics. In the dream, he was erratic and seemed to need psychiatric care, but he left while she was out of the room to get an attending. In dream time, a week or so passed and my entire school was gathered in the gymnasium. I went to a Catholic school, so in total, this would be about 200 kids. During homecoming week, we voted daily for best costume for the specific theme. Through the back door of the gym, Jason came in and shot the majority of my school. My mom heard about the shooting on the news and ended up dying in a car crash trying to get to the scene because she realized she saw the shooter through walk-ins. It was so detailed I could tell you who lived, who died, and who was injured. Obviously, a very upsetting dream, and thus why I went to school late. Well, homecoming week rolls around, and we're all gathered in the gym, and there's chatter about how no one has seen Jason since first period, in which he just seemingly walked out. And on his Snapchat story, 
is a post of his car's steering wheel that says, today's the day everything changes. I immediately remember my dream and start freaking out. My entire school is in the gymnasium during homecoming voting, and I know our gym teacher keeps the back door propped open so he can get in after his smoke breaks. Teachers are alerted and voting ends early, and we're shuffled to our next class period. The teachers try to act normal, but the safety locks are placed on the door, we're moved to the corner, and the blinds are drawn. From the cracks in the blinds, we can see our principal pacing in front of the entrance to the school, shotgun in hand. Yes, I swear on my life this is real. He was former Marines and a former wrestling coach in his 60s at the time, kept a gun safe in his office, and I went to a Catholic school, so rules were fast and loose. We're kept in class for a long time before school goes back to normal. His girlfriend is called out, but seemingly nothing happens. The next day, the police come to take statements. Turns out, Jason had a hit list, had drawn maps of the school, and had purchased a rifle from a local pawn shop. He had been very abusive to his girlfriend, and after much encouragement from her friends, she broke up with him. He was so enraged that he planned to kill everyone that had, quote, taken her away from him. He had truly planned to shoot up our school that day and enter through the gymnasium door while everyone was in the gym. The police found him in a Kmart parking lot not far from our school with all of these plans and a gun to his head. He told the police that the only thing that had stopped him from going through with the plan was that his mom had called him right before he exited his car. She was the one that tipped the police off as to where he was. Turns out my mom had never seen him in walk-ins, but she has verified this story to multiple people since it happened. Shortly after that, his ex-girlfriend moved schools, and I'm not sure what happened to either of them, but I really hope they both got the individual help they needed. Much love, M. That is so eerily specific. Oh, I, there's, it's, that can't be a coincidence. I mean, no. that is, that is, you saw the future type of thing. Really? The I potential mean, potential future. Yeah, the door, the gymnasium door, the specific day, you know, homecoming week. That is, it's another one of those moments where, thank God, his mom called when she did to ask where he was. And I'm sure that the school had called her. You see that Snapchat, and we've seen that in other mass shooting things, too, where social media is how people find out something's about to happen because they're posting. And the stomach drop, not only everybody in that school, but also his parents must have felt at that. I, um, I'm not sure because names were changed, uh, you know, where exactly this was or who this was, but I do hope that they both, um, I do hope that he got help. I hope that the girlfriend who has suffered a lot of trauma, obviously got the help she needed to, and that, you know, they have, counselors and stuff available at schools for when things like this happen, because luckily he didn't show up. But that fear of the lockdown procedures and knowing this is a real possibility, you see your principal with a, with shotgun. a shotgun in their hand. He's it's like, like Army not darkness. on my watch, motherfucker, just pacing back in front. That's terrifying, traumatic. Yeah. I mean, you, you never forget that. It changes you in a lot of ways. So I hope that all of the kids got the uh, the help they needed and were able to process that and maybe you're still processing it. 
Yeah, help, that's, maybe that's, writing it out like this I yeah. hope, um, helps um, you and others, unfortunately, so many others that have been in a situation like this. Yeah, hopefully helps to, like you said, cathartic to write it out. And, you know, it's those situations where they post it in advance and things like that. It's do you wonder if they wanted to get stopped or if they just aren't thinking straight? I'm glad that he was stopped in this case. But you're right. Just even if he never entered the school with a gun, knowing that he had a hit list, knowing who might have been on it, especially those people that were targeted for doing nothing more than helping their friend get out of an abusive Mm -hmm. relationship. You're right. That's something that everybody has to unpack because – Oftentimes, these ripple effects, it's not just, oh, well, nothing, but it was fine. It's like, no, you were ushered back. You had to hide from the blinds, mm-hmm. and there was a real threat, especially, yeah, seeing your principal with a gun. So, you're, uh, yeah, I hope everybody that was there that day has uh, been able to handle it and unpack it in the way that at least sounds like M is with sharing this story with us, and especially the, the girlfriend. I hope she got far away from him and got the help she needed. For sure. Thank you so much, M, for sending that in. Sinisterhood, we'll be right back. This next one is from Batty in the subject line, kidnapped? Hello, all. Batty from New Jersey here. She, her. I'm going to go by my road name as I may send multiple stories in the future and some I'd like to hide my identity. Yes, I wrote Batty for my obsession with Robin Williams and Batty Coda, who is literally me in cartoon form. Hubby says, no, it's because you're batshit crazy. But anyway, I think I'll start with the earliest story from my life. My parents are the same age and went to school together and dated after school in their early 20s. They then married in 1983 and had me in 1985, the only good thing that came from it. My sperm donor was a controlling asshat, yes, you read that word right, whom my mom put up with for about four and a half years. Things he controlled or started fights about included my mom working late night jobs to keep the roof over our heads, always accused her of stepping out and they had to go to his mom's every Sunday for family dinner. My mom had to call him when she got to work and when she was leaving. She had to tell him who she hung out with, and he was often heard saying, my daughter, your responsibility, when referring to me if I acted out. Now, he was a guy who had family genetic heart conditions that put him in the hospital frequently. One of those times was a couple months after my second birthday. He had an episode, and it was supposed to be an overnight stay. My mom, tired after working 12 hours and two jobs, told him that she wasn't going to stay the night at the hospital, but that she would be back in the morning. He was not happy about that, but she wanted to get me home and in my crib. She got home, put me in my crib, and went to bed. The next morning, as she woke up, she realized she had slept in, surprised but slightly grateful that I didn't wake her up early like usual. She walked into my room quietly with only the hall light shining in. She saw me sleeping in bed all bundled up, and thinking I was on my side, she went to get my outfit for the day. Once that was set out, she went back over to the crib and went to rub my back to wake me up. Wakey, wakey, eggs and bakey, she said as she touched the blankets. As she made contact, the blankets flattened out and no body was there. She tore all the blankets out of the crib and ran through the house. There was no sign of me. In her panic, she was smart. She instinctively called the hospital and found out that my bio dad had signed himself out sometime in the early morning. They only had one car, so she knew someone picked him up, and he was either at his mom's or the fire station. He was an ex-firefighter due to health, but still hung out there. She called his mom's house with no answer. She called the station and was told they hadn't seen him recently. 
Then she called her dad, and they drove over to my G-mom's house. She banged on the door, and one of my bio's brothers answered. He said my bio dad wasn't there, but would let her know if he came home, as he shut the door on her. My grandfather then began banging on the door as my mom ran to a neighbor to call the cops. Why did she wait to call, you might ask? Well, because it was the 80s, the local cops were idiots, and with my dad being an ex-fireman, he probably had a friend or two in blue. The cops showed up, made my mom stay by her car in the driveway, and went up to the door. They spoke to my dad's brother, and then, surprise, surprise, my bio dad came to the door. He said, I'm sorry she gets like this, officer. Come on in and see our daughter is fine. They saw me in the guest room, safe and unharmed. From there, they basically told my mom not to call them for non-life-threatening matters and that my parents need to work this out. Then the police left. They didn't see my dad slam the door shut before my mom could get in and lock it. At this point, my mom must have felt defeated and pissed. She tried calling the cops again, but still nothing was done. Apparently, back then, a parent couldn't kidnap their child and was only told to get an attorney. This lasted for about a week before my mom's brother got involved. We'll call him Uncle B. He's nine years younger than my mom and was an amateur ice hockey player. He got fed up, got his buddies rounded up, and they showed up to the house. He wasn't worried about any issues as my grandma was on her annual trip to Ireland to see family, and he doubted my dad and his brothers would be a threat. They simply banged on the door, hockey sticks in hand, and stood in the yard for about an hour. They demanded I be handed over and wouldn't leave until they saw me safe with them. Sure enough, after taunts of, we aren't leaving, and the show of force, a bunch of beefed out hockey players in his yard, my bio dad came out and handed me over to my uncle. Needless to say, that was the last straw, and as soon as my mom had me back in her arms, she was filing for divorce. The last part of the story is simply that, until the divorce was finalized, my Uncle B basically camped out in my bedroom so nothing else would happen. And anytime my mom had me near my bio dad, my Uncle B was there like my personal bodyguard. Thank you for reading this, even if not on air. Your podcast keeps this school bus driver entertained in between runs. Started in October 2023 with your first episode, and I'm now at your November 2023 episodes. I have lots of free time. Thank you for all that you create and share with these Freaky Fridays, as it helps people like me feel not alone with our experiences. I have lots of good and bad stories for a future date. That's a brother right there. Right? With the hockey that's, stick. <laughs> that's some Liam Neeson shit. Yeah, like, like the Soprano nah, dad. This ain't happening on my watch. <laughs> right? You, you snatched the wrong Mm-mm. kid. Uh, but what a feeling for... Daddy's mm-hmm. mom to you think oh yeah your baby's sleeping let me just go and pat her and it's whoosh, nothing in the bed that's a right out of some kind of lifetime movie it's a Hand horror rocks cradle type shit it's terrifying I can't I can't imagine and also what an abusive asshole to knowingly do that have somebody drive him to the house sneak in get Steal the, baby, the baby yes take her all to just get at the mom. Just to, you know, to For hurt something her. like you want a full night's sleep and the, you want the baby to be able to sleep in her bed. It wasn't like, I'm not even going to come to the hospital because I don't care. She worked 12 hours, two jobs, still came to visit. And it's not unreasonable to want to sleep at home and want the baby to sleep in the most comfortable place. So, yeah, that guy, 
Um, I'm not going out on a limb saying he is a monster and an asshole to go in and steal a baby for something like that. It's not like, oh, I'm worried that her mom is not taking care of her or something like that. It was just wholly selfish. And to have his family also kind of strong arm and be like, the door's locked. You can't get in here. And for the cops to go, sounds like a civil matter. That's not really our problem. I'm glad Mm. uh, mom filed. Yeah. Mom, brothers, grandpa, all that is, he's... When parents use their children as pawns to hurt Mm -hmm. each other, it just makes me sick to my stomach. And that's all this was, was, and if you're fine enough to check yourself out in the morning and go steal your daughter from her home, then nobody needed to spend the night with you. You fucking baby. Yeah. You're just trying to get attention and uh, wanting to be right. Wanting to be in charge and show I'm in control. I tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. If you ignore my- And to punish her. Yeah. If you ignore me, this is what happens when you ignore me what I tell you what to do. So Mm -hmm. I'm very glad for Uncle B and for uh, clutch family members like that that show up when uh, the going gets tough and you feel like at that time, whenever Batty's mom was there by herself, she was outnumbered between cops and bio dad's family. And you realized, all right, I'm gonna go get my people and come back. (laughs) Then we'll see. We'll get, we'll, we're going to get uh, our baby back. For yeah, sure. don't underestimate New Jersey hockey players. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I didn't need to read the story to know that. But <laughs> for sure. Yeah, this reiterates it. <laughs> <laughs> Just a quick reminder. Well, thank you very much, Batty, for sending that in. And we look forward to your future stories as well. Mm-hmm. This next one is from Natasha, and the subject line is My Wild Home Invader Story. Dear Sinisterhood, As a proud Patreon member, I would be remiss not to tell you both how much I adore you and your work on this podcast. As many have mentioned before, the smiles and giggles you gift us are worth so very much during the wild times we live in today. I'm listening to episode 93 as I type and realized it was time for me to stop procrastinating and finally share my home invasion story. Back in 2017, I was living in Indianapolis with my ex, who's also the father of my daughter. At this point, I was only still holding on to the failed relationship for the sake of our then three-year-old daughter, despite his abusive nature towards me and his continuing drug abuse. We were in the process of packing up our entire home before we moved back to my home state of New York so that my daughter could be closer to her grandparents and so that I could escape the Midwest after a good three years deeply missing my family and the Northeast. My ex and I were fully sleeping in different rooms at this point. And about one week before the move, I woke up early in the morning to the disturbance of a person walking very close by the window of my bedroom, which faced the back of the house. My curtains were drawn, so all I could see was a retreating shadowy figure. I immediately woke up my ex and frantically told him I had seen someone peering into my window. Bleary-eyed and annoyed, he looked around the house but found nothing. He was very much the type to gaslight me into thinking I was constantly being dramatic or crazy, so I tried to forget about it. Exactly one week later, I woke up to the exact same disturbance. I ran to wake my ex up, and thankfully, he roused. A note about my ex. He's six foot four and 230 pounds. As we stood together in the kitchen after he'd just awoken, we listened in pure shock as a man opened our patio door, again located at the back of the house which we'd somehow forgotten to lock the night before. Within seconds, which felt like hours, we were face-to-face with a very average-looking white guy who seemed very surprised to see us standing there. Now, there are a few instances in the years I spent with my ex where I can say that he protected me, but I can't deny that he did his job here. 
And keep in mind, our toddler was still asleep in her bedroom, just feet away from us. After a few shocked seconds, my ex transformed from sleepy and annoyed narcissist to the scariest boxer-clad monster I had ever seen. He barked, hey, what the fuck are you doing here? The man took off after a muttered apology that he thought the place was abandoned, which actually did make sense as he had clearly been casing the place and it was increasingly full of boxes. My ex, however, was not having it. He chased after that man at full speed around to the front of the house where I couldn't see what was going on. I was terrified for him, but knew that I needed to stay with my daughter to protect her if necessary. This incident is what taught me that I definitely have a tendency to freeze because after a full 30 seconds of panic silence, wherein I wondered what to do, I realized that just maybe it would be a good idea to call the police. I broke out of my stupor and did just that. By the time that my ex re-entered the house, sweaty but thankfully unharmed, he informed me that the guy had another friend waiting for him just outside in a getaway car. My ex had quite literally blocked their path by standing in front of their car, and in the process, he had gotten their license plate memorized before coming back inside. The only reason he hadn't pursued them further, he told me, is because the getaway driver was gesturing as if he had a firearm just out of view, and my ex was understandably not willing to take that chance. The police arrived shortly and took our statements. We never heard anything more about whether they'd caught him or not, and I do believe that this scrawny guy truly thought the house was abandoned. But I will never, ever forget the cold dread of standing in our kitchen as we watched a total stranger walk into our home, having no idea what would unfold or how bad it would be. Needless to say, I am now very serious about locking doors and keeping security cameras all over my current home. I may not have my giant ex to chase after intruders anymore, but the happiness my daughter and I have found once free of my ex's abuse is more than worth it. I should note that at the time of this home invasion occurred, we didn't have any cameras up. Ironically, the ones I installed after our move to New York ended up providing crucial evidence when my daughter and I ended up needing a restraining order from said ex. If you read this on the pod, thank you for taking the time to read my story. It was truly one of the most surreal feeling moments of my life, and I've never taken home security for granted since that day. Keep it creepy, always invest in security cameras, and dump that abusive boyfriend. Your happiness is worth so much more. Natasha. Well, good on you, Natasha, for getting you and your sweet daughter out of there. <sighs> home invasion stories, my, some of my worst nightmares, just having a stranger you just come face to face with them. I think probably more than I should. What would I do if this happened to me? That was definitely an early uh, nightmare I had, especially when I moved into this house. The house I had before this one that I rented had like burglar bars on all the windows. And now I have like alarm sensors and stuff. But I had like a recurring nightmare when I first moved in that someone was trying to break in my front door or would break in my front door. And I have like a long hallway between my bedroom and my front door. And we would be like facing each other like mm. that. And I am not six foot four or 230 pounds. So it would just, that's why I keep sock bat next to the bed in case, you know, something goes down. You got to have a baseball bat. Stuff goes down. Sock bat's got to come out. You got the sock, then, you know, it's a genius idea. But uh, yeah, that's a, an eerie thing to just think that you see someone outside the window and it's like, oh, well, maybe it, they were just lost or maybe it was a coyote. No, it was a person definitely casing the joint trying to figure out are there anybody in there? Is it abandoned? Are there just boxes? But. If that's a coyote, it's 
six feet tall. It's huge. <laughs> it can be seen by it's a werewolf maybe, man. Maybe the window isn't up that high, but it's a pretty big coyote if you're seeing it. He's like, what? A, a man's looking. figure go past the window. It's like you've got a man-sized coyote living around your house. You you should take care of that too. It's more it's scarier than a werewolf is the coyote man, I think. But I, I like the security camera idea. I am a big proponent. I have security cameras in a lot of places in and around my house. Yep. But same. uh yeah, it's it's much help. It's it gives you that peace of mind, and it's very helpful to be able to say, "Oh, this was the type of car they were in, or whatever." But I'm glad that X at least got the license plate, and so hopefully the police tracked him down from that. Because even if they don't take anything, still entering a house that's not yours, and that's uh, a little B yeah. Yeah, they they weren't there to do anything um, good, you know. They yeah, weren't bringing you th- cookies. Or- <laughs> <laughs> they were oh casing the joint, maybe, or just planning to rob the place. Mm-hmm. I, I, to to think it's abandoned would be almost like you're going to break in. Well, I guess maybe you steal like copper or something from mm-hmm. plumbing, but or just your boxes camp out there, see what's in the boxes, but. Yeah, either you're hoping to stay there or to steal the stuff. But either way, they weren't there to do anything helpful or nice. No, it's usually if somebody's in the dead of night jiggling your back door handle, it's not to just, like you said, bring you cookies. You're like, welcome to the mm-hmm. neighborhood. Because um, if so, keep the door locked and move. <laughs> <laughs> yes, always lock your doors too. But yes, it's we all have been there where we forget just that one, one time. That's- and then... You do what I do, and you got to go around the house about 20 times at night to make sure everything's locked. And then I had a friend tell me, you have to have a word that you say that's like a really weird word when you do it. So then you can remember back, like, did I say this really weird word? Because to think, like, did I lock the door? You might confuse it with, like, the day before. But if your word for the day uh, is lollipop every time you're supposed to lock the door – then you can think earlier, did I say lollipop when I was at the door? And like, it's easier to remember that type of stuff. It's worked Interesting. for me. So I never heard that. Maybe it'll often- work for your obsessive um, fears as well. <laughs> no problem. I mean, I do. I check the locks before I go to sleep. But one thing that I often forget is to close my garage door. And so Oof. I'll usually just have to back down the alley to make sure it's still open, which one time it wasn't. My neighbors texted me at like 6 a.m. Like, did you mean to leave your garage open all night? Thanks for checking. No, I did not. <laughs> I got texting. a text. I don't even think I told you this. Hmm. Like a week ago, our neighbors texted and said, we, our friends noticed your garage door has been open for a couple hours. So they went in and closed it and like ran out. And we had, we had, we were at my mom's. It had somehow gotten left up open. We used to have it, an app on our phones where we could open and close it from there. So you could also see if it was open or closed. Mm. We got to get that back. Cause I like to be able to know, even if I'm not home, that shit's locked down. No, I need to as well because I often end up driving, like circling the block to try to peer across this field to make sure my door is still cl- like it is closed. But mm-hmm. I think that the lollipop will help, and or just an app, then I can just do it remotely. Mm-hmm. Or look on your cameras. Couldn't you look on your cameras to tell? Uh, the backyard camera, yes. I mean, I need to reangle it. It's more angled towards the driveway, but I could reangle it. And I also want to get like a spotlight camera. That's where all the best, if you're on the Ring app and it's like, I saw something crazy. It's always the spotlight cameras that do it because it's well lit, you know? Mm. So I think that's going to be my uh, next home improvement project is have an electrician. Because I had a, like a spotlight floodlight up there, but it's just a light. I want cameras and a light. <laughs> you want to see it all. You got to see what those scarecrows are doing. <laughs> I'm always or afraid. Or do you want to? <laughs> that was the night that the scarecrows came to. 
July. Oh, I hate it so much. Uh, yeah, for those of you who don't know, I back up to a big, uh, like, empty field that sometimes people put scarecrows back there. So that's kind of weird. Uh, like multiple ones. Too many. And, and Tommy likes me. to say that they get closer each time we're there. I hate it I all. Can't, I can't prove it, but I think they are slowly, slowly getting closer. Uh, well, thank you, Natasha, for the reminder. Put on them security cameras on, dump that abusive X, and uh, always keep it creepy, like you said. Sinisterhood will be right back. Well, this last one is from Brandon, and the subject line is crazy customer. Hello. First off, love the show. Been listening religiously since 2019 and still looking forward to each episode. So, on to the story. This isn't necessarily spooky or creepy, but it's definitely freaky and a bit funny. Back in the summer of 2012, I was on summer break from my first year of college. I needed a job and ended up at Walmart as a cart pusher. We were treated like crap by customers and the supervisors. One day was even cart pusher appreciation day, and they literally gave us a voucher for a Subway sandwich from the Subway inside the store. But I digress. One day, I was pushing carts up near the door when a man in his late 50s or early 60s walked up and said, Damn, it's hot out. I gave a polite, Oh, yeah, it is. Just wanting to move on before I got yelled at for letting the carts get low. But this man kept going. He started to go off about global warming and how soon all the crops in Africa will wither up and die. Then it took a turn. He said, let me ask you something. If your buddy was starving to death and you had a sandwich, would you give him some? I, just wanting this interaction to be over with, started to say, well, yes, I, and he cut me off with the fuck you would. At this point, I could only think about how to get away from this man. He actually seemed offended about me sharing food in a hypothetical scenario, and I was more than uncomfortable. I should also mention this whole time we were like 20 feet from the entrance to the store where families are walking in and out, which makes it crazier. After that, the conversation gets a little fuzzy for me. He started to complain about society as a whole and sounded a little unhinged at times. And then he said the two sentences that will stay with me for as long as I live. Hell! The only thing on TV now is pussy, dancing with the pussy. At this point, I could have cried laughing if I wasn't so scared of this man. It was out of nowhere and so absurd, but I held it together and kept giving short responses. Shortly after that, he finally went inside the store and I got back to work. After that, I saw that man come to the store nearly every day, and whenever I saw his truck, I tried to work on the other side of the lot. Anyway... Thanks for listening, and here's my reminder to please return your cart to the corral and not just to the middle of the lot. <laughs> People like this, one, I'm, the least shocking thing I've ever heard is that this took place in a Walmart parking lot. But people like this live for these moments. Not, not, not Brandon. Brandon. The a hinged customer that was just looking to pop off about everything and anything to anybody that would listen. And I feel like people like this target employees sometimes mm-hmm. because they're kind of trapped into listening to you and can't just as easily walk away as a customer could. 
Yeah, they. I mean, you have to be polite, A, but B, if you're the cart pusher, you can't just be like, oh, I'm going to walk to a different department in the store. You have to stand there with the machine. You have to go through the, you know, and sit there and push the carts back in. So you're cornered and you can't even say, okay, sir, well, actually I have to go help other customers. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'll just be here. I guess stand and yell dancing with the pussy at me as I'm trying to like push these carts in. Damn. Also, I... I would take umbrage with the, him not thinking you'd share a sandwich when you had a voucher for a free Subway. Certainly, you would give that to someone in need. Oh, yeah. You, you're like, I don't have a sandwich to give you, but I can give you this voucher. So if you can make coupon. your way to the Walmart and go inside of the Subway, there you have it. Get you some. Well, I wonder what else that guy went off about that day because this can't be a one-and-done situation. I think this guy, from the second he wakes up till the second he goes to bed, is just yelling Dancing with the pussy and every other thing he can think of to anybody he comes across. <laughs> right. And it's always sad whenever they start out relatively normal, like, damn, it's hot outside to a person who has to work outside. It's like, oh, it seems like they're, you know, commiserating with me. Like, oh, it sucks that you have to work out here. Damn, it's so hot. But then to just turn it around and be like, anyway, you know how why it's hot. So some crops are going <laughs> to die. And you're like, okay, this is the kind of guy that's going to write a manifesto and stick it on his neighbor's mm-hmm. doors, you know, and be like, you should know what's really going on. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. Uh, but I think Brandon would have shared a sandwich. I don't think this guy was oh, right saying yeah. the fuck you would. Don't besmirch our lovely listener, Brandon, that way. And uh, <laughs> like I said, I would at least always try to put a cart in a corral if I can't take it back to the store because it is, Same. especially in the hot summertime, it's rough oh, out yes. there. No, <laughs> yeah. The pavement's hot. You gotta put them back. There's a lot of controversy about this. In our Patreon group over yes. the years. And, but I'm on Team Corral. You take team it Corral. back to the store or you put it in the corral. And if you can't do either of those, at least don't just shove it in the middle of a parking spot where it yeah. can roll into another car or like dumped over in the middle of the where people have to drive. It's the wild, wild west with shopping carts in Dallas. Oh, yeah. They'll end up, like, crossways across a parking spot. I'm fine if you even, like, hook the wheels onto, like, a little island in the middle of the parking lot just so it's not rolling away, even mm. if you don't. But I'm like, if you're taking the time to do that, then go take time to do it in the cart. We know your husband specifically has said, sometimes we got two kids, trying to wrangle them. He's like, I can't always take it all the way back to the store. But hopefully, if there's a nearby corral or an island, you can just safeguard other people's carts or other people's yeah. cars from cart scratches and damage. The best spot is if you can get a parking spot right next to the cart corral. Mm -hmm. That is primo. Whenever I pull into Target and I'm like, oh, fuck yeah. I got a spot right next to the cart. Mm-hmm. You're like, I got this. Uh, I will. T- I do take the carts from the inside, though, instead of the corrals. But I don't oh, know yeah, same. Yeah. I, talk th- I take the carts from the inside, especially if it's raining or hot because yeah. I, you know. But also inside, there's wipes, so you can wipe yes. them all down got to get that cart wipe on well mm-hmm. thank you brandon for sharing this i'll be looking for dancing with a pussy airing thursdays at 8 7 mm-hmm. central on abc coming up I in the next can't wait to see season. the the uh celebrities that this one pulls in and <laughs> also just the the cast you yeah think julianne huff is oh, gonna she's be back. this one <laughs> oh she's coming back uh um, yeah dan- my mom loves dancing with the stars and i'm sure she'll love the sequel <laughs> Dancing with the pussy. Oh, I yes. Mean, yeah. Who doesn't? At least you'll at least have one subscriber, one <laughs> one person tuning in every week. 
I'm watching. Oh, thank you, Brandon. Yeah, I'd probably watch it too. Yeah, for <laughs> oh, sure. I gotta have a little more information on what exactly th- it means, and then I'll decide. <laughs> I have an idea. What if it's Dancing with the Pussy? It's actually the Dancing with the Stars cast, like the the normal dancers, no celebrities, but cats, and they have to complete okay. a tango with a cat, a foxtrot with the cat, a, and then but the cats are the, the you have to let them take the lead. Cha cha with them. But if they and if the cat scratches you and runs away, you lose. You get zero <laughs> points. But if you do it right and the cat's enjoying it, then you get 10, 10 points and you win. Sinisterhood will be right back. Seeing a choreographed lyrical routine with a cat and a professional dancer would probably go in the top three greatest moments of my life. That's and what I'm I want to see. Envisioning the dancer holding the cat. I envision the cat choreography as well to where, yeah, the cat is full costume and also Little. has their own moves independent of the dancer. Yeah, the cat they put on a sequin bow tie as a collar. It's got a little mm-hmm. tiny hat, a little top hat attached to it, and it likes to tap. Get tiny it a little, tap shoes. A little tiny tap <laughs> shoes, and then its front paws has like a little cane, and it's putting on the wrist, and they get to dance. Oh, I would watch We did it. So you know what, sir? Dancing with the Pussy, if that is the only thing on TV, that's the only thing that needs to be on TV. Nope, I'll watch that 24-7. <laughs> it's like the Puppy Bowl. Instead of watching Dancing with the Stars, you went to Dancing with the Pussy. Instead of the Super Bowl, <laughs> you watch the Puppy Bowl. We need to animalify all of these reality shows that we have. Real we Reptiles of Salt Lake City. Yeah, Real Reptiles of Salt Lake City. I'd watch that in a second. It's just, it's a Real Housewives, <laughs> but the cameras are just on their, like, pets <laughs> that, are, that they have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, or Real re- Reptiles of the Swamp, of Real Reptiles. Real reptiles of Louisiana. Oh, yeah. I search out things that are (laughs) exactly that. How many times have I Googled gators in Africa or crocodile attack? I I watch weird shit like that all the time. I don't watch crocodiles attack people. No, no, no. Sometimes nature does what nature does. It's so fascinating to see. Uh, That's why I love any of those nature documentaries on land or... In the swamps. See <laughs> the, swamps. the swamps. I love a good swamp documentary. Swamps, ooh, they're eerie, haunting, mm-hmm. morbidly fascinating. I was driving the other day and somebody passed me on the highway with a fan boat on the back of, like, mm. on a trailer. I was like, I'm still afraid of fan boats. Never been on one, but it scares the shit out of me. They had them in, when I lived in New Orleans and everybody, like, we're going to go on a fan boat ride. I don't know why. It just makes me nervous. They go very fast and spin very fast. And seems like there's not a lot of control, no matter who's behind the wheel. It seems like, too, the sides aren't really, like, high enough. I like something yeah. where I might not get slung out one side or the other. So Or tumped over. I yes. mean, you do a donut in that fan boat. It's heavy. Is bottom heavy, and you just tump over, and now you're in the bayou with a bunch of gators. <laughs> My worst nightmare has come I don't true. Like, yeah, I even, we went to, to swim a couple years ago at Lake Ray Hubbard, which isn't too bad, but it's still, like, lake water right and mm-hmm. there's like there's mechanism not mechanism there's organisms in it it's probably mechanisms too in that one they're down i think it does i think it sucks water out of there do we drink out of that i don't know at the time i'm like <laughs> do we drink in that lake that everyone's just driving around their gas-powered Ugh. boats in probably mm-hmm. <laughs> oh dallas county water system uh i guess that'd be Rockwall. but uh even swimming just in like lake water makes me <laughs> so the thought of a mm-hmm. entangling type of a swamp scenario where there's nope. just all kinds of whatnots lurking for you scum pond scum <laughs> so much scum oh I'm man out. that green pond scum that's congealed on the top of water just the sight of that is enough to 
take a couple minutes off my life. Just yeah. thinking about what it's like to, you know, my sensory stuff goes into overdrive thinking you about that. To like imagine being emerged, <laughs> uh, submerged under it. Nah, thanks. <laughs> I'll take dancing with the pussy any day. I'll rather see a little of a cat. I would like to also nominate both of us as guest stars. I would dance in a second. I would love to be on it. Now, we don't have cats. But we'll show up and dance with a cat. I bet we we know enough people let us borrow a cat. I bet Laura oh, would yeah. let us borrow Mr. Peepers. I got a cat. I can get a cat within five minutes. If <laughs> I, you need I know to. somebody. I got a cat. I can get a cat with a toe by 3 p.m. <laughs> with a green with nail polish. polish. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, yes. Thank you so much, Brandon, for sending that in. And thank you to everybody else that sent in your Freaky Friday stories. If you have an odd but true story, maybe you've encountered Bigfoot. You've seen a UFO, you had a brush with true crime, or you felt the presence of an otherworldly being. Send them in at SinisterHood.com slash Freaky Friday. If you like our free episodes, you'll love our Patreon bonus content. You can join for free to see where we're up to next or dive into over 500 hours of bonus content. We also have some upcoming live streams this month that are always a hoot and a holler. January 17th at 8 p.m. We have our monthly Q&A and then we're going to have our bonus content live stream January 31st at 8 p.m. and voting for what segment we're going to do is currently going on over on Patreon. Yes, if you would like to vote to see us perform Judge Christie live where she can address your grievances in real time, we can also do hypothetical situations and let you all chime in in the chat and or add your own. Or we have Heather Saves where we can look at pictures, videos, and posts that I have gleaned while perhaps indulging in the devil's lettuce on Reddit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and other websites. I've been I've been saving some stuff from Facebook, from some other video TikToks, things that I'd like to share. So uh, it can run the gamut. It won't just be from Reddit, but uh, vote until uh, January 26th. And those are both at 8 p.m. Central Time on the 17th and the 31st. You can head over to Sinisterhood.com and click shop on the top banner to check out Sinisterhood merch like t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, and even clothes for your kiddos. And don't forget, if you subscribe at the Rolling the Airwaves or Getting Into It tier, you get a year-round uh, discount code for all merch. So make sure to check the uh, pinned post on Patreon for that and what your discount codes are when you head over to Sinisterhood.com and click shop on the top banner. While you're on our website, you can also review the show, follow us on socials, and check out the episode description. You'll also find fun things like topic-based playlists and links to live show tickets when we go back out on tour, which should be some announcements coming soon. Imminent. Imminently. You can follow us on Instagram and threads at Sinisterhood Pod. Like us on Facebook at Sinisterhood. Check out video episodes of our show on YouTube and fun videos over on TikTok, both at Sinisterhood Podcast. And head to cameo.com and search for us to do custom personalized video shout outs. We can say happy birthday, happy anniversary, happy Valentine's Day, any message you need to deliver to the Sinisterhood fan in your life, or heck, get one for yourself. We've done some lovely mm-hmm. pep talks about uh, losing family members, about making a uh, uh, getting accepted to school, getting rejected from things, just like anything you would Starting like Starting a new to- job, yeah. feeling in a rut, and you just want a pick-me-up. The cool thing about cameos, too, is it's not like you watch it and then it's gone. Yeah. You watch it and then you get to keep it. So something that, you know, we do a lot of pep talks. That's one of our most requested things. And I love that people can go back when they're having maybe a down day or something to watch it and 
and get repepped. So it's a <laughs> I've get gotten a cameo from Fiona the Hippo. Yeah. No big deal. And <laughs> then Heather's gotten one too from our bestie Zach Guilford. And they're so much fun. We've both watched them many times since then. Yeah, it's one of those where it just makes you smile each time. So if you mm-hmm. want a pep talk on demand, you can order yours at cameo.com and search Sinisterhood. Christy, where can the lovely people find you online? I am on Instagram at Christy M. Wallace and on TikTok at Christy or GTFO. Heather? I'm pretty much everywhere at Heather versus the world. As always, the devil rules the airwaves. Keep it creepy. in it.